0: Thanks for tuning into the Central Church podcast. We exist to introduce people to Jesus and help them follow him. To learn more about Central, access tons of content, and find the location nearest you, download our Central Church app. But for now, we hope you enjoy this message and we're so glad you could join us today. All right, Central Family, nice to see you today. Thank you for being here with us. Want to say a big shout out as always to each of our Central Family locations. A big welcome to Central Summerlin, we love you guys out in Summerlin, thank you for being there this weekend, and to Central Sunrise Mountain, we're so grateful for you, to uh, Central Southern Highlands, you guys rock, we love you, to uh, those who are watching online, to those who are joining us at Central Kingman, we're grateful for you, and a big shout out to those who are joining us in different prison facilities through our partnership with God Behind Bars, thank you guys for being with us today, yeah, we love you. Hey, we're, uh, I'm excited about this teaching series that we're in the middle of called On Purpose, How You Can Be the Church. And I was thinking about this weekend's talk and uh, I started thinking about an experience I've had that maybe some of you had, you know, maybe you'll relate to this. Have any of you ever um, been in an apartment or a home and all of a sudden the smoke detector starts to chirp because the battery is low in the smoke detector? Anybody had this experience? You You know, it's just that makes that really loud like chirp. And then, and then what happened You're like, where is it? Where is it? You know, like, wait, wait, which one? And uh, and why does this always happen in the middle of the night? Right, dead asleep, you're out, and all of a sudden chirp, and you think I'll just sleep through it. Everything will be fine, right? You know, and then chirp. So eventually you get up. Now, this is the experience I have is that I have a hard time finding that particular smoke detector. I think they're supposed to blink or something, but mine never have. I mean, so I'm like looking all around and I'm waiting, and, it, and I know they're supposed to be timed out where the chirp is like every so many seconds, but doesn't it feel like it's random? You're like, man, it feels like it's been like three minutes chirp, you know, and then the next one's like 20 seconds later. I'm like, what the heck? My latest experience was I could not find where the chirp was coming from because in our master bedroom, there's one right inside the bedroom and one right outside the bedroom, right? So, you know, there you are, you're opening doors, shutting doors, trying to figure out which one's going off. Then you finally get a ladder, you get up there, you replace the battery, the chirping stops. But if you're like me, you've put several batteries in several of these at the same time, so just wait. Right, it won't be long till you start hearing that chirping again, it drives you crazy. But here's what I was thinking about. When my uh, smoke detector has a low battery alert going off and it wakes me up in the middle of the night, I have one purpose. That purpose is to get back to sleep. And I'm willing to do whatever I need to do, right, to fix that smoke detector so that I can get back to sleep. Here's the thing about purpose. Purpose defines your priorities. Purpose shapes your priorities, and when you're living on purpose, it has a clarifying sense to it, and you can start eliminating things that are in the way, right? Because isn't it easy to kind of live off purpose? I mean, I think it's very simple for us as people to just get busy, right? Just get distracted, just get beat down by life, just sort of float along and kind of lose the purpose and the passion for why we're here to begin with. And it happens not only to people, it happens to churches, it happens to organizations. You you lose your purpose, you just start to drift. And so one of the things we're trying to do in this teaching series is to just remind all of us of some simple things that we can do as a faith community, And I believe if we'll do these things, it will help us as a community stay on purpose. But I also think it can help you with your family, with your relationships, as a parent, help you stay on purpose. Now, as a church, we say that our purpose is simply this, to introduce people to Jesus and help them follow him. That's it. To introduce people to Jesus and help them. Somebody wanted to clap over there and I think that'd be great. You know, you can get caught up in all kinds of things, right? You can get caught up in all kinds of messages, but our message is simple. Introduce people to Jesus, help them follow him. That's it, that's what we're here to do, that's our purpose. And when you get clarity of purpose, it shapes your priorities, right? our shaping your priorities. So let me unpack again what I kicked off last weekend, which is kind of four simple steps that I think can help us both personally and as a church stay on purpose. The first was simply this, attend the weekend, why? to experience God. Attend the weekend to experience God. We need to, what I mean by attend the weekend is simply keep showing up. You gotta get around people of faith if you wanna get more faith growing in your heart and in your life. You gotta get around hope if you want hope to grow in your heart and in your life. You gotta get around God's word if you want God's word to get in your heart and in your life, right? So, I wanna encourage you to attend every single weekend. Even the weekends you're tired, even the weekends you had to work overtime, even the weekends you fight all the way to church, even the weekends you wish you were doing something else, attend anyway. Why? Because if you attend, what you'll find, just like me, every time you leave, you're glad you came. Because you'll experience God. And maybe this week you need to be prayed for. Maybe next week you need to be praying for somebody else. right? Maybe this week you need to be motivated. Maybe next week, just your presence will motivate somebody else. Maybe this week, you need to be encouraged. Maybe next week, you're the one doing the encouraging. If you don't show up for yourself, then show up for others, because we need you, because we need you. Attend the weekend to experience God. That was last weekend. You can go watch that online. Okay. The second is this, what we're going to talk about this weekend, invite a friend to share hope. Invite a friend to share hope, and we're gonna talk about that. The third we'll look at next weekend. Take a next step. follow Jesus. And that next step could be anything, whatever God might be leading you to do in a given moment. Maybe it's to forgive somebody. Maybe it's to, you know, reestablish a relationship with your kids. Uh, Maybe it's to be kinder in a marriage or a dating relationship. Uh, Maybe it's about serving or using your gifts at work or in the church. Maybe it's about getting into a group. Maybe it's about uh, Central Academy. Central Academy, there's still time to jump into Central Academy. Uh, It's starting um, on Monday and uh, you can jump in. You can go deeper this next term learning about God, learning about the Bible, digging into some theology. For some of you, that's going to be a great next step for you. So there's still time jump in and do that. For some of you, it might be celebrate recovery, dealing with some issue, hurt, habit, hang-up in your life that you haven't wanted to deal with. Or maybe you're fine, but you're living with somebody who's a mess. Great. Celebrate Recovery is also filled with people who talk about how they can uh, navigate very complex things in relationships and support one another through it all. Take a next step to follow Jesus. And the reason this is important is we're gonna keep taking next steps in our lives, whatever they may be, and if we're all doing that, what happens is we're growing, right? We're growing, if we're growing as individuals, we'll be growing as a church. And then the fourth is to give generously. Time, talent, gifts, whatever God provides to us, to share that, why? To rescue others, to rescue others. So those are the four simple kind of steps to help us stay on purpose as a faith community. And I wanna to talk to you about this one. Invite a friend to share hope. Just by a show of hands, across our locations, uh, how many of you came to faith in Jesus Christ, if you're a believer today, because of the influence of a friend or a family member in your life. Will you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand. Now, Across locations, keep your hand up. Summerlin, Sunrise Mountain, Southern Highlands, Kingman, you guys keep your hands up, okay? Everybody just look around. Just look around. And it just reminds you, you can put your hands down now, thank you, it reminds you the power of our friends and our family in influencing our lives. Most people are greatly impacted because of somebody in their life. Think about this. You and I are where we are today, right? For good, bad, ugly, whatever it is. We're where we are today because somebody, because the grace of God, yes, okay? But also because somebody influenced us. Somebody prayed for us. Somebody invited us. Somebody picked us up in some cases. Somebody drove us up in some cases, right? Somebody somebody walked in with us. Somebody was kind to us. In other words, people have gone before us, and that has helped pave the road that we got to walk to be where we're at today. My challenge to you as an individual, to myself, to our church, is we want to be that kind of church. We want to be those kinds of people for others. For others. We want to help them know that God loves them. We wanna help them understand that Christ died for them. We wanna help them take appropriate spiritual steps in their life. And so to kind of inspire us around that idea, I wanna dive in with you today to Mark chapter two, and we're gonna pick this up in verse one. Now Mark is one of the biographies of Jesus or one of the gospels of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Um, Mark is the most action-packed biography of Jesus. It's sort of like a Fast and the Furious movie, Hobbs and Shaw. You know, it's just kind of like all action, right? You know, and so you get to chapter two, there's this great story. We'll just read it together. Uh, Here in a minute, we'll get to a highlighted word on the second slide. Read that out loud with me when we get there. But uh, just follow along here. He says, when Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. So Jesus has been, he was there, Capernaum was kind of a home base, and then he went out and uh, you know, he did some healings, then he went out, traveled around, taught, healed for a few days, and now it was like he was back. Awesome, right? So the people are excited. News spread quick, he was back home. Soon, the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. So this, this sweet dude opened his home to Jesus, and now he's got, like, paparazzi everywhere, right? And people are, you know, outside, standing, the house is packed out. It's crazy town. It says, there's no, no more room, even outside the door. So he begins to teach. He says, while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the what roof through the roof. They raised the roof (laughs) above his head and then they lowered the man on his mat, right down in front of Jesus. So let me just set the scene again. Jesus is at a friend's house. He's back in Capernaum, the word spreads. He gets a whole crowd of people that just start showing up. Eventually they're, they're all packed out outside and Jesus starts teaching these individuals. And then we read about these friends. These, these individuals have a friend who's paralyzed. His whole life is sort of you know, committed to this mat. He never gets off the mat. And you know, the mat was probably where he slept. It was where he'd be picked up and carried and sat down so that he could beg and he would beg all day long because there was no social services in that time and of the, in, in that age. There, were no, uh, there was no insurance. There were no claims. You, you were just on your own. So he would sit out and he would beg all day long then he'd be carried back on his mat and he would sleep. And that guy didn't have, I mean really in the ancient world, he didn't have anything going for him except this. He had some amazing friends. He had some friends that were willing to pick him up. When they heard Jesus was there, they were probably like, oh man, that's so excited! we gotta get our friend to Jesus. Then they heard he's gone, ah. But then they heard he's back. They grab their friends, they grab their friend, they carry him on that mat and they get there and they see that it's totally packed out, it's full, there's nowhere to go so they get him up on the roof and those roofs were built with like thatch and mud and all that so they start tearing it all off and they lower him down from the ceiling in front of Jesus. Now there's a lot we're gonna talk about but first of all, those are amazing friends. Those are amazing friends, right? I hope you have friends like that in your life. Um, but whether you do or not, I hope that you will be a friend like that to someone else. And so one of the things we see in the lives of these friends that I think can inspire us with sharing hope with others is simply this. First, they're willing to take a risk. They were willing to take a risk. How many of you would say you're a risk taker just, just in general? You know who you are. Risk takers never, never shy about putting their hand up. Yeah, man, I'm a risk taker no problem. Uh, if you feel like it's too risky to raise your hand in church, you're not a risk taker. Okay. I of mean, you're a little more about guarantees. You like a sure thing. That's just kind of your, your lane right there. I just want to know. It's yeah, we're all, we're all wired up differently. But one of the things that we struggle with, um, uh, as, as humans beings is the danger of risk. In fact, I found some images that I thought were, um, very uncomfortable that I want to share with you today, actual images that people took selfies from very dangerous, risky places. So check out this first one. This is a Russian model who actually became famous for taking selfies in all kinds of crazy, uh, dangerous places. And I did confirm that that is a real picture. Just kind of makes you want to, I don't know, throw up. How many of you are afraid of sharks? Any people afraid of sharks? Sharks kind of freak you out? Okay, you're gonna love this this next one right here. I think that's fake. Okay, I'm just kidding. All right, but this next one is not fake. This is actually uh, verified. Look at that. That lady took a selfie when a foul ball was coming right for her head. It actually hit her head, but it just, you know, it didn't like hit it direct. It just uh, uh, bounced or skimmed it. and. That's crazy right there, so anyway. All right, next slide, last one. Check out this guy, he's in uh, Brazil, he's at uh, Rio de Janeiro uh, on um, Jesus the Redeemer, the big statue, you know, like, uh, out there on the arm. I mean, the good thing about this risk is it's a risk for Jesus, right, there you go. So, I don't know, guy looks crazy to me. One of the things psychologists will tell you is that we as humans really don't like uncertainty, right? We don't like uncertainty. Most people would rather deal with a bad situation than deal with an unknown situation that might be bad. Because it's in the unknown and the not knowing that it can just eat you alive and drive you crazy, right? But when it comes to sharing faith with other people, there's always some uncertainty, right? When it comes to uh, walking in faith with God, there's always some uncertainty. And sometimes it can feel risky, sometimes it can feel like you're kind of going out on the edge. Listen, you start praying for a friend of yours who maybe is far from God in their life, and you pray that God will give you an opportunity to invest in that relationship and maybe even to invite them to come along with you to church. It's going to feel risky at some point along the way. You take people that you're close to. I think it feels even riskier when it's people you're close to, right? Friends, family, they've known you, you've known them, right? And you start praying for them and asking God to give you an appropriate opportunity to invest and then invite them to come along, that can feel like a risk in your life. You, you know, you find a, a moment where a coworker opens their heart to you and basically asks about your faith or asks about kind of how you navigate things in your life. And you sense that God has made it clear and they've invited your, you, know, you in to share about what he's done in your life. But then it still feels risky, doesn't it? It still feel like that fear can be right there, like, oh man. But what I've learned in my life is if I will begin to pray every day, God, give me somebody in my life just to share hope with, the hope that you did in my life, give me somebody that I can share that hope with. And then I start thinking about who that individual might be and praying for them by name. It's amazing to me how different circumstances and situations will line up. And all of a sudden, you will feel like you're in a faith journey with God. And I can tell you story after story after story from my own life, this has happened. I've had it happen with neighbors on both sides of me. I've had it happen with um, uh, people that I was in school with years ago. You know, just where God. I, I started praying every day for my neighbor, praying every one neighbor I had. Al, you know, I love this story because when I first met Al, he was like eighty years old, and you know, liter- that's that may be an exaggeration, but he he was up there. <laughs> he said, "What do you do?" I said, oh, "I'm a pastor." He said, don't ever talk to me about God and don't ever talk to me about uh, religion. Don't ever invite me to church and we'll be friends. <laughs> so I honored that and I prayed for Al for over 10 years. Every time I'd see him, I'd pray for him. I'd think about him regularly. I went through seasons where I had him like on the prayer list and I would pray for him. I'd walk past him when I got the mail. Hey Al, he'd just nod at me. you know. Every now and then we'd talk a little bit. He was retired. so. That went on for years and years and years, and I'll just never forget the day he was standing out watering his lawn, and I'd gotten the mail, and I walked past, and he goes, hey, pastor. Which that was different. (laughs) It's like we went to a different gear, right? Whoa. I went over there and stood next to him, he goes, hey, so I've just been thinking, like, if you die, I mean, is that it? You know, you just go to, like, darkness? That's it? He goes, I, I, I just feel like there's got to be more to life when you die. There's got to be more. And then he kind of asked this question like I'd never thought about this. He's like, what, what do you think? <laughs> Listen, man, that's when you go, that's an open door. All you got to do is walk through it. If you will start praying for people in your life, it might be this month, next month, next year, 10 years. I, I'm telling you, don't be surprised when God opens the door. So I was able to share my faith with him. I said, "Well, I have some thoughts about that." (laughs) We talked for a while. I said, "I've got some reading material I'd love to give you if you're open to it." Yeah, I'd love it. So I started, basically, you know, became his library. I'd start farming books, you know, next door, giving him stuff, and and uh, and then he also had a friend who was a Methodist pastor that he made at the gym. And God just used me, his neighbor, and this Methodist pastor, and we tag team on this guy like WWE man. He was open to it, but it ultimately led to him crossing the line of faith, which was amazing. If you will take a risk in your life and just start praying for somebody, you're going to be surprised at how God will move. So across our locations, we've got a special card. This is probably my favorite printed piece that we have around here at Central, and it just says one friend on it. And it's in the seat backs uh, that are in front of you. I want to encourage everybody to grab this across our locations. This may be under your seat. It may be on your seat. You may be sitting on it right now. Uh, You might want to check that. But just grab this card. It says one friend. And all this card has on it is three blanks. It says my name, my email, my one friend that I'm going to be praying for. And I want you to think about who that one friend might be in your life because at the end of this experience, uh, as we're uh, heading out across our locations, we're going to collect these because we want to pray with you. In fact, uh, if you'll write your friend uh, down on this card, I give you my word. Your friend will be prayed for again and again and again by volunteers in our church. We will lift them up to God and by our staff and by myself. And we are going to pray together that God will move in people's lives. And I believe he will be willing to take a risk. Look at this, Matthew, cha- Mark chapter two, beginning in verse five, we sort of see what happens when these guys uh, take a risk. Uh, this is Jesus' words, it says, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Now, seeing their faith, um, think about it, Jesus is teaching, he's having a moment, and all of a sudden the ceiling gets pulled back, and this dude gets lowered down on a stretcher. Like, like imagine that happening right now, I'd be like, hey, I'm, I'm talking right now. And this is like Jesus, the greatest teacher to ever live, right? You know, like I'm delivering a message right now. I'm kind of busy. am not doing miracles right now. I'm teaching. You know, Jesus could have been angry and upset. Like, you guys are so disrespectful. I can't. But you know what? He looked up and what he saw in these friends and in this man was faith. It took some guts to pull that roof off. It took some guts to lower their friend down there. And he saw their faith, and the faith moved him. So we wanna have faith for people in our lives who may be far from God. Second thing is simply this, we wanna believe the impossible. We wanna believe the impossible for our friends who may be far from God. Uh, when I was in high school, I was, lived a pretty crazy party lifestyle, and uh, when I came to faith, You know, it was an amazing experience for me. Uh, I got cleaned up. God started to work in my heart and life. And I really wanted to reach many of my friends that I had spent a lot of time with Um, that were still sort of caught up in drugs and that whole thing. And I I wanted to help them experience what I I had, the spiritual awakening in my life. And I just wanted them to experience it, right? So I can remember there was about uh, 10 or 12 friends. I wrote their names down in my journal. I prayed for them every day for months and months and months. I would say years. And then as time went on, it wasn't every day, but it was periodically. I shared my faith with them. I bought them Bibles and wrote notes in the Bibles. I did everything I knew how to do, right? Try and encourage them. And I look back on that whole season, and all of my friends, every single one of them, never leaned into anything that I said. Can you relate to that? They weren't interested in any of it. And none of them took any spiritual steps in their life. They just kept going right on along on the road that they were on. It's pretty discouraging. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it feels impossible. Like, They're never gonna change, that's just who they are. But I kept praying for them, and then eventually I moved on to other people and forgot about them and just moved on in life. And about 20 years later, I was a pastor here at Central, this letter lands on my my, uh, office desk. I open it up, and it's from one of those friends that I had prayed for all those years ago that I'd shared my faith with again and again and again, and check it out, this is only God. He's in jail, in a county jail, in a small town in Texas, not Amarillo where I grew up, but another small town in Texas, and he goes to the library in the jail and he sees this book that I wrote years ago called Uncensored Grace, and he sees my name and he's like, hey, I know that guy. I used to party with that guy. (laughs) So he pulls the book down, and in the opening pages of the book, I talk about coming to faith, and I, I describe my bedroom where I came to faith, and he had been in that bedroom many times, and he wrote me in this letter. He said, bro, God just spoke so powerful, powerfully to me through that, I, because I've been in that bedroom. I, I remember you telling me when you laid it all down and surrendered your life to Christ, and he said, I wanted to write you to tell you that that has marked my life. And here I am all these years later. And for the first time in my life, he says, I'm finally laying it all down and giving my life to God. Awesome, right? And I'll, I'll tell you, I just sat there bawling my eyes out. I'm a crier, bawling my eyes out, you know, looking at this piece of paper that's now wet with my tears. And I'm just giving thanks and praise to God because God is in the business of doing what seems impossible. Some of you've been praying for a friend or a son or a daughter or an ex. Don't stop praying for them. Don't give up on them. God does the now. He may. He's not going to do it in your time frame. He may do it 20 years from now, after you've forgotten that they even existed, right? And then boom, all of a sudden he brings it back around. Like, oh wow! But those prayers aren't wasted. That experience isn't wasted. We got to keep. Believing the impossible for our friends. I mean, this paralyzed man, he had friends that brought him along on that mat and they were believing for some impossible things. They ripped that roof off and they dropped him down in front of Jesus. And here's what we read in Mark chapter two, beginning in verse seven, Jesus sees their faith. Um, he says, your sins are forgiven. Look at this it says, here's the, uh, uh Here's what the text says. What's he saying? This is the religious leader speaking. This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. So, I will prove to you that the Son of Man, that's him referring to himself, has the what? Authority on earth to forgive sins. Now, You might, I mean, there's a lot to that statement Jesus makes. First of all, the religious leaders are kind of right and wrong to be upset because Jesus looked at this guy and he doesn't first say to him, you're healed, take up your mat. The guy's still paralyzed. He says, your your sins are forgiven, which is an interesting pause because a lot of times what we think we need so desperately isn't really our greatest need. This guy needed to walk. He needed to have a healthy life. He needed to be able to work. But Jesus looks at him, broken on a mat. You think, man, is this guy bummed out when he hears that? He's like, okay, great, can 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 I walk again? No, Jesus looks at him and realizes and communicates, your greatest need, my greatest need is spiritual before everything else. You need to be forgiven and reconciled to God. Your sins need to be, your biggest problem, paralyzed man, is with God. And first you gotta be forgiven. And I have the power to forgive you. That's what bothered the religious leaders like, whoa, nobody has the power to forgive, right? Only God has that power. And if Jesus was just a man, then there you go. But the Bible teaches that he was divine incarnate, so he has the authority to forgive in that moment, so the religious leaders are very you know, disturbed. And Jesus is like, basically taking them to task over that issue. And so then he tells the man to take up his mat and to walk. We'll we'll see that in just a minute. Another way that we can um, uh, share our faith and share hope with others is not only to believe the impossible, but to celebrate together, to celebrate together. In fact, let's look at this. Mark chapter two. Let's look at this uh, rest of the story here. It says, then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. Can you imagine that moment? Right, it says, They were all amazed, and what do they do? They praise God, they celebrate it, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. So the religious leaders are seething, the guy that's just been healed has gotta be just kinda wigging out, like this is the most amazing thing in the world, right? And then everybody like you and me standing around are just high-fiving, because they're like, the guy can walk again, and he's forgiven. It's amazing, it's incredible. And that's, listen, one of the things that we do at Central, Every single weekend is we celebrate stories of life change. We celebrate what God is doing in people's lives. We are still amazed at what God can do. We're still amazed at how God can move. We're still high-fiving one another because of what God has done. Every single week, we get to see that and be a part of it. And that's, that's why attending the weekend is so important. You come in and you're down, and maybe God isn't moving in your life in the way that you expected him to right now, but then you see how God's moving in somebody else's life, and that motivates you and gives you the strength to continue on. Your day will come, but between now and then, you got to walk with your head held high in faith. So we celebrate those stories together. Celebrate what God has done. In fact, uh, one of my favorite stories, just to remind us of our purpose, is uh, a story John Ortberg told years ago about a, a museum on, the, uh, on Nantucket Island on the East Coast. It's called the Museum of Life-Saving. This museum was dedicated to a group of people that, um, before the Coast Guard really was in existence, they band together to help these ships that would come onto the east coast, sometimes up to a mile out from the shore. There were some rocky places, and if those ships got in trouble, they would send a flare up, and many of them could drown or die. And so they formed the Life Saving Society, and they put these little huts up along the, the shorefront. front and they would volunteer, no pay, this is volunteered. they volunteer and rotate, and they would basically man those life-saving stations looking out on the horizon for a flare to go up, and if a flare went up, then they would go out and rescue these people and bring them back. And their slogan was, get this, uh, you have to go out, you don't have to come back. Can you imagine like the recruitment? Like, okay, so there's no pay, uh, there's no insurance here, you, you, you might die. But when the flare goes up, you gotta go out. You don't have to come back. And yet people signed up for that. People were a part of that. People were uh, willing to step in, why? Because they thought human beings were valuable enough to merit that kind of risk and that kind of sacrifice one of the things that happened over the years is the Coast Guard began to form. And for a while, the Life Saving Society and the Coast Guard partnered together to keep the shoreline safe and secure, and then over time, the Coast Guard totally took over those opportunities. But what I think is fascinating is the life-saving society never disbanded. It still exists to this day. They get together. They have potlucks. They have a budget. They help the community however they can. They just aren't in the life-saving business anymore. And if you ask me, it sounds like too many churches We get together, right? We have a good time, we sing, we worship, but if we're not careful, if we're not intentional, we'll move out of the life-saving business. But friends, at Central, we are called to be in the life-saving business. We're about sharing the hope that God has given us with others. We're about taking risks to invite people to come along with us. We're about going out on a limb a little bit and saying, hey, come along with me and seeing what God does in that moment. We're about believing the impossible for people who may be on the outside, who maybe are hurting, who maybe others have written off. Aren't you glad God didn't write you off when everybody else wrote you off, right? I'm so glad God didn't write me off when everybody else wrote me off. We're about celebrating together. We celebrate what God does every week in somebody's life. When you remember how far God has brought you, that allows you to see how far he can bring someone else. And so there's always hope. And we all have our mat. I don't know what your mat is. Jesus tells this guy, hey, take up your mat. And go home. And every time he would have looked back at that mat, he would have remembered all those dark nights. He would have remembered the loneliness. He would have remembered sitting on that mat, not knowing where his food was gonna come from, not knowing what tomorrow was going to bring. But then he would have also remembered Jesus speaking those words to him. Your sins are forgiven. Now take up your mat and walk. Maybe your mat was a divorce. Maybe your mat was a strained relationship with a son or a daughter. Maybe your mat was a bankruptcy. Maybe your mat was an addiction and all that kind of came out of that. Maybe your mat was just sort of a blur of a whole list of things, (laughs) too many to list. We all have our mat. And I believe Jesus says to us today, take up your mat and walk in my freedom. You have the mat to remember where you came from, right? You have the freedom to remember God did it in my life. He can do it in everybody's life. And so we want to share that hope as we can so that other people can experience God's grace in their life. So I want to end the service across our locations just a little different today. I want to encourage you to take this one friend card. And uh, will you just reflect with me for a moment on maybe one friend in your life that you would be willing to pray for. And if you wanna fill the card out, we would love to join you in praying for them. But what's most important to me is that you zero in on who that one friend might be. Somebody in your life who may be spiritually hurting. Maybe they're far from God right now in their life. Uh, Maybe they just need the love and grace that you've experienced. Think about who that is. We're just gonna take a moment of reflection to fill this card out across our locations. Uh, At the end of uh, our experience, you'll have an opportunity to turn this in, to have other people join you and pray for you. But let's just take a moment, and I'll close this out in prayer. But before then, let's write down the names of who that one friend might be in our life that we're gonna be praying for in this season. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for what you've done in our lives. And we pray and lift each of these individuals to you that we're writing down their names. We pray that you'll move in their heart and life. God, that you'll do again in their life what you did in our life and even more. We lift them to you and pray for their forgiveness, their healing, for their rejuvenation and restoration. We pray that you help them fight the things that are tearing them apart or pulling them down. We, hope you feel, we pray you hope you'll fill them with peace, joy, love, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. God, we submit them to you in Jesus' name, amen.